0: Episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom podcast from Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, where we worship God because we just can't help it. It is uh, episode 36 of the Revelation Bible Study. It's being recorded on January the 17th, 2019. In this week's episode, we're getting close to the very end of the book of Revelation. And so we'll be counting on you to let us know what you want to study next. And uh, now's the time to start informing us. If you're a up-to-date uh, weekly listener, then this is definitely the time to let us know. But uh, for now, I just want to remind you that a virtual church classroom is just that. It's, it's something that exists In our minds, it is something that we do uh, on the internet together, but it's not the same as being part of a church relationship. You really need to find a place to connect, and we hope that you will. We pray that you will. God has a plan, God has a church, there's a family of faith for you to be a part of. So go out there and look with prayer, and you'll find one. And if you happen to be in southwest Indiana, well, of course, you are welcome to try us here at Shiloh United Methodist Church, and we'd be glad to have you. But uh, for now, as always, let us continue to prepare our hearts for the study by worshiping God. Our psalm reading is Psalm 37, a psalm of David. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your, make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken better the little that the righteous have the <clears throat> better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked for the power of the wicked will be broken but the lord upholds the righteous the days of the blameless are known to the lord And their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster they will not wither. In days of famine they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay. But the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. But those he curses will be cut off. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, or their children begging bread. They are always generous, and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Turn from evil, and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever, for the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. They will be protected forever, but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives, but the Lord will not leave them in their power, or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil, but he soon passed away and was no more though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright, there is a future for the man of peace, but all sinners will be destroyed, the future of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord, he is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them, he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him.
1: Fret not for those who do evil, Envy not those who do wrong, For like the grass they will
0: God, as we come today to reach out to you once again, seeking your heart and mind, seeking to know you with all of our hearts and minds, we are conscious of the fact that today's psalm, a long one, repeats over and over again that the wicked will have their day of judgment, that the wicked will have their due, Uh, their accounts will come to be settled. And in the same way, those who have remained righteous, and of course, righteousness as we understand it as Christians, comes through Jesus Christ. And so we are made righteous because of his sacrifice and his love for his covering our sins so that you look upon us with favor. Because of this, Lord, we know that on this day, when the wicked are brought to justice, we will be given a reward we did not earn but we received because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, with the psalmist, we seek to live a life that is righteous in your sight, a life that pleases you, a life full of generosity and grace, a life full of mercy and a life full of love. And we look to the Bible as our guide for the way of living, and we look to you in our prayer to guide our thoughts and deeds by the Holy Spirit. This is our hope, Lord, even as we study these words together. I ask you to bless each of those who listens today, whenever they listen, that they might be filled with your spirit, that they might be hopeful and trusting in you as they face whatever's going on in their lives. And for now, Lord, we just turn our study over to you and give you thanks for telling us everything we need to know about what is, what was, and what is to come. Amen. Gnashing his teeth
1: against him. But the Lord at the wicked shall laugh, for he sees how his day comes. So be still in the Lord. Oh, be still in the Lord. Yes, be still.
0: Well, Bethany, we have finished chapter twenty. We've seen Satan's doom. We've seen the judgment, and now, what happens next? That's what's that's what we're going to talk about today. We are in chapter twenty-one of twenty-two chapters of the book of Revelation. We're about to get to the very end of the Bible. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> the it. it the chapter 21 begins with the passage that I should have committed to memory after all the funerals I've done over the years of my ministry career. And uh, I, uh, I've i read this one so many times to, to open the, uh, or to, to help people with the, the understanding of death not being final for the Christian, you know, because... I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost for the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts... The idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So, and we heard about the second death Mm -hmm. at the uh, start of that uh, other chapter, the previous chapter. And we have a, uh, uh, we have the the kind of finalization here and, and, you know, uh, first thing we hear is God saying that this is what we've been working towards all this time. <laughs> I mean this is this is what was to be in the you know from the beginning. and uh, you know he says, so many really nice things, heaven coming down, all of that, but then he ends the this part of the reading, which verse eight basically saying, if you did all those skanky, nasty things, you're going down. But I I guess I want to put a Christian spin on this just a little bit and say, well, you know, it's not the things that brought you down. <laughs> you know, it was your attitude that brought you down. Um, you know, I think that's the problem that we have in our society today is we have people who are being labeled as conservatives and you know right-wing radical conservatives or whatever because they're saying you know i choose to believe what the bible says about things like sexuality about things like you know your your morality and the reality is that all of us are guilty of something on this list Mm -hmm. if we're honest and so it isn't really the sin behavior that's the problem it's your attitude and if if you think god is wrong about some things and right about others then you don't really understand who god is if you think that god is uh you know that that this was some sort of book about ancient morality that doesn't apply anymore i mean you know if it, it in the end it always comes back to that thing i talk about all the time which is You're either focused on God or focused on self. And if you're mostly focused on self, then you're going to change the rules to suit you. And you're going to change your interpretation of these things to suit you. If you're focused on God, then you're going to try to hear what God is saying. And I personally don't believe that God prohibits any particular behavior because it's offensive to us people in other words i i don't think he prohibits uh homosexuality because it's offensive to some christians and so for their sake he prohibits I, i think it's nothing to do with that at all i think he prohibits it because it's not the way he designed things and it is therefore unhealthy and this is the same god this is why most people don't really understand and i'm talking about very general terms here but unless you're familiar with the whole bible you've missed the fact that if God is prohibiting some of these things, he's doing it in the same spirit that he wrote, uh, gave them the rules that were written in the book of Leviticus or the book of Numbers or whatever, where he was saying to the people, you know, if you, you shouldn't eat this kind of flesh, you could, you know, you, you should avoid this kind of what I always say, you know, don't eat roadkill. Right. So so basically what God is judging here in this final second death, final judgment is people's attitude towards God, in my humble opinion. you have thoughts on that?
2: Well, I just... The only thing I was thinking is that I get why people are confused and get caught up in all of that sometimes, though, because, like, you gave the Leviticus example, and there's a lot of rules he gave that Christians don't live by anymore. hmm And I think that challenges people sometimes because then... It's confusing, like which ones should still apply and which ones shouldn't. And that gets people kind of befuddled.
0: Well, that's a good point. I mean, you know, the Apostle Paul and Peter both had to take uh, a stand against the Jewish traditions about certain kinds of foods and things Mm -hmm. like that. And it's, you know, it sounded like he was saying in, in both cases, they were saying those rules don't apply anymore. And yet, if you listen carefully to their, each of their discussions, what they're really driving at is, is the, that it's not about your attitude. In fact, what, what, uh, what Paul and Peter both determine, like Peter and Cornelius. So Cornelius is an offensive person to a Jew because he's a Roman pagan. And, you know, for a good Jew like Peter to go into his house and talk to him about Jesus... But you have to understand, Cornelius was humble. Mm -hmm. He was ready to submit to God. In other words, his attitude with God was right. Therefore, the food on his table was right. You know, and if his attitude towards God had remained, uh, you know, hostile, and if he was luring Peter into a trap and he was trying to trick Peter into eating unclean food and you know, then that's a whole different thing entirely. So, and then Paul's saying the same thing. He says, he says, look, you know, if, if there are hungry people and there's good food that's been sacrificed to idols, it doesn't really matter because God makes all that clean, feed the hungry, you know? And again, it's the spirit of God that's driving the decision about the unclean things, Mm -hmm. you know? um, On the other hand, you never hear anybody break with the traditions about certain other things, you know? And it's, it's really amazing how consistently... There's only one sub... The, the most dominant subject in, in the New Testament, especially, is money. But right up after that is the discussion of sexuality. The, the New Testament talks all the time about sexual immorality. And that ranges from being unfaithful to your spouse to being promiscuous outside of marriage. It ranges from... Uh, you know fornication is mentioned all the time which is basically you know uh i don't know the kind of stuff you probably see in an x-rated theater or something like that and then there's there's the abominable things where animals and people of the same gender are involved i mean god classifies those things in the bible and he classifies them in the old testament and the new testament it's and and it's like you know and again, I would say, I don't hate the person who's sinning. I don't hate them for, for their sin, but I really hate an attitude that says that, that, you know, that I'm somehow in error because I believe the Bible is true. You know what I mean? And, and so every time I've ever stood on this position and I try really hard to avoid it, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you, and maybe that being recorded is going to be, you know, a big problem for me, but really all I'm saying is, is, is is i will not hesitate to say i'm not in favor of changing what the bible says or changing church doctrine in order to accommodate a belief that is uh that you know isn't consistent with scripture and i'm not comfortable with that because i feel like you know we're changing the standards to where there is no standard you know but but anyway I didn't mean to go off on all that and uh, you know who knows this might come back to haunt me but we're living in a time where where you know this whole issue is dividing denominations dividing the whole country and I I I know that I'm pretty conservative on certain things and yet I'd like to think I'm open-minded this whole thing's been about critical thinking this whole bible study has been about critical thinking and when I do my critical thinking and I don't let emotions rule my decisions about things, I can't help believing that the Bible is pretty explicit about some of this stuff. And it comes down to the second to last chapter in the book mm-hmm. saying, don't do certain things. And I, I just, I don't know what else to do except trust that the book is true. And yet I have no intention of condemning or hurting anyone because they are living outside of god's precepts because we all are outside of god's precepts Mm -hmm. at least there may be some of us who don't do things that we find particularly offensive but we're still guilty of sin that separates us from god no one who needed a savior can claim superiority over another person who needs a savior (laughs) you know so i have no intention of ever doing harm because of this belief but I do reserve the right to claim that the Bible is trustworthy and true and that we should not change our our Christian religion to accommodate a belief that isn't consistent with scripture so uh, anyway let's talk about the good well, stuff
2: the good news is, is that it's talking about the people getting cast into the lake of fire but we're kind of beyond that at this point yeah like from here from here on, it's downhill in a really good way.
0: It really is. So let's move on to the next topic, which which was the actual planned discussion. Because you, <laughs> if,
2: if your name's in the book of life, you're good, guys. Yeah,
0: and you can be in the book of life no matter what you've done. Right. You know, you can be in the book of life because you admit that you're a sinner who needs God's grace and because you're willing to sub- submit yourself to God's leadership in the form of Jesus as your Lord and if you'll take his yoke upon you and follow him you're going to be in the book of life and and you know if you have a particular lifestyle choice or behavior that has really owned you he's going to ask you to slowly give over to him your life and change whatever he asks you to change and you know what he's not going to ask me to ask you to change Thank goodness he's going to ask you to change. It'll be between you and the Lord. And that's none of my business. I will pray for you. Anyway, now we get to verse 9. Would you like to read verse 9 through verse 14?
2: Sure. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb.
0: So what I'm hearing, and what I've pictured in my mind, is like this massive party barge <laughs> that all the saints have been on since the rapture. <laughs> we, it, we got, you know, the church got raptured to this place, which was elsewhere at the time. And unbeknownst to us, who are in the party, it's been moving towards Earth the whole time.
2: Our minds are so alike that it's scary.
0: And so here's the Earth going through all this upheaval and turmoil that is the final days of its existence, and meanwhile, we're just out there on our cruise ship in heaven, kind of making our way back to Earth's port.
2: I was picturing, you know, like in the second Avengers movie, when that city, when that, when that, like Sokovia gets lifted off the Earth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was picturing that, but like coming back down. And yeah, like disco lights and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know. Like, here we go. And, and, you know all the while we're just having a great old time i mean you know uh literally when i was on a cruise ship with your mother i can remember seeing another cruise ship off in the distance probably 10 miles away and and behind me i hear all this music in this room behind us and I know that there are decks and decks and decks of activity going on below us and decks of activity going on above us. There's people in the pool. There's people in the casino. There's people dancing at the, people going to the shows, people eating and eating and eating and eating. And mom and I are out there looking across. And you know what? The same thing's going on on that other party barge over there, 10 miles away. And I just think, you know, <laughs> they have no idea. You know, everybody in here, they... They trust that the ship is going where it's supposed to go, <laughs> and and then it arrives. You know, which and, usually works out. Yeah, and you know, um, but but yeah, I mean, this is this is well as it's described here. This is the bride, the wife of the Lamb, coming back. <coughs> and the angel in verse 15, who talked with me, had measuring rod of gold to measure the city its gates and its walls and this city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured it, its wall and it was a hundred and forty-four cubits thick by man's measurement which the angel was using. And the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass, and the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, and the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, and the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth Uh, Chrysoprase, and the 11th, Jacinth, and the 12th, Amethyst, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each made of a single pearl and the great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I should have given you that one to read.
2: It's going to be fancy.
0: Well, so there's a couple of things that I note. Number one... Did you notice that pearls are used? Yeah. Did you know that pearls were considered unclean under the Mosaic law?
2: Also, I mean, he's God, so I'm going to start by saying God can do things, but it said there's no sea. Yeah. And pearls are created by sea-dwelling critters? Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Well, but he's also God, so like...
0: Yeah, I mean, you know... It's fine. He can do that, yeah. and God can do whatever God wants, but <laughs> but also, you know, John's describing what he sees. Yeah. But I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting because because John obviously knows what a pearl is, even though a good Jew wouldn't have anything to do with him. But then... It, is it
2: because it's shellfish or because it starts by being dirt?
0: Yeah, because it's a, not a natural thing. You know, uh, precious stones come out of the earth, and... And under Jewish law, they're considered a natural thing where basically a pearl is something that is generated by, you know, dirt and spit.
2: Okay, so so that's really interesting because, and I've noticed that like diamonds not really mentioned in all of this, but that's interesting. I wonder what they think about diamonds, especially still today, Mm -hmm. because if you want to get real technical about diamonds, they start... as something that came from a living creature kind of too because you know
0: well the other thing that's interesting is i'm just
2: laughing because like jerusalem has that diamond district and stuff well
0: the interesting thing is is that uh a pearl comes from an oyster mm -hmm. which is a bottom feeder and the jewish law is kind of consistent with certain vegan customs that it basically says don't eat things that feed off the bottom because what their flesh is made up of and the nutrient that has f- f- has fed their flesh is basically all the waste from everything else in the ocean.
2: And it makes it taste so
0: good. Well, you know, I'm just saying, though, that, that if you think about kosher eating, you yeah. know, kosher dietary rules...
2: So I guess diamonds are different. You
0: wouldn't one. want to eat something that feeds off of waste. You know, which which, again, I, you know, I love rolled oysters, smoked oysters, clams. Yeah, you know, I love all of that. But it's it's not bad to realize that that, that there was a logical reason for the prohibition. Um, again, it goes back to a God who says this isn't good for you. And it would have been especially ungood. I'm, I'm reading a book right now about the, the 1918 influenza. And the whole two, first two chapters are all about the history of medicine. And how if this thing had happened 100 years sooner, it would have been devastating to the world's population. But because it happened when it did, uh, just when modern medical science had really been birthed, modern medical science found a solution. You know, so we've only had modern medicine just in the last, you know, 100 or so years. And up to that point in human history, a lot of maladies got people because nobody knew what caused them, you know, and it would make sense for God to say, don't eat roadkill, don't eat anything that feeds off the bottom of the lake, you know. I mean, you start thinking about it, God's protecting the people from their ignorance about creation.
2: Well, and if you don't know about the right, like, food preparation has changed. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I mean, and, and, you know, it's all a, a consequence of having... Our minds opened and our insight increased into the, the reality of God's creation. Um, but anyway, this city is being described. And, and there's something that, that occurred to me when I was reading this earlier that I hadn't thought about before. And it is the idea that this is not... I, I think there was a time when I kind of had it in my head that everybody was going to live in the cube after the millennial... Period, the thousand year reign and that you know so the eternity with god was going to be spent in a cube and what i understand now is no this is the holy city this is essentially god's palace where god dwells descending from heaven to be the centerpiece of earth
2: it's literally heaven meeting earth
0: yeah and so so this 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 gigantic, magnificent cube is the place where God's going to uh, hold court, so to speak, and the people, well, Christ, really, and the people are going to be, because it goes on to say, well, it already said it in, you know, in that God says, I'm going to dwell with my people, you know, again.
2: And I like that because I know he just spent like the last several, several chapters just. strike like destroying a lot of things on earth. But I like that idea because he spent a good amount of time making it this wonderful dwelling place for the people, like for his creation. Right. And
0: yeah, so, be you kind know, it really is the centerpiece of all the the earth that has been recreated by God and restored to the kind of earth it was when God originally made it. And of course, verse 22, as we read on, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God almighty and the lamb are its temple. Mm -hmm. You know, so this city is the place where, you know, Jesus, where the Lord God are dwelling and they they are the temple. There is no need for a place to worship them because they are present. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so that barrier that has always separated us from god uh the, the the figurative barrier of sin which which i don't think is so figurative but anyway and then just the reality that we don't know how to get to heaven or be in the presence of god except for through our death or the rapture and we don't understand where god's Reality is apart from the fact that we occasionally get to see through our space and time into God's reality, like with the angels at Christmas and stuff like that. So, you know, John of Patmos can you imagine the letdown when he witnesses all of this and then he's back on that, you know, dreary island? You know, I, I mean, that's another story. Mm-hmm. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it because the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So, you know, there are going to be nations, there are going to be kings of the earth. You know, this, it's describing a world that isn't unfamiliar to us um i've often thought i think
2: that the kings are going to be unlike any kings we've seen before well sure i think it's going to be very
0: different you know like the magi on steroids you know but but the idea is is that 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 you know what we see you, you talk you think about the most beautiful earthly scene you have ever witnessed with your own eyes and realize that as breathtaking and beautiful as that is it's corrupted by sin and when there's no longer sin corrupting god's creation it's going to be even more beautiful but it is nevertheless a form of the reality god created in in other words we're not i think this is a mistake a lot of people make when they're thinking about heaven when they're thinking about the the post-millennial reign that they get this idea that somehow it's going to be radically different from what we already know but i think the scripture makes it clear that it's not going to be radically different Except that it's going to be radically superior to what we've already got, Mm -hmm. you know, but we're not going to be unfamiliar with with the way things are because God's always been in it. God's always just had certain limitations that existed, not that He's limited, but there is a limitation that comes from the free will of sinful man. And, you know, so this is a picture of what it's going to look like when all of those limitations are gone, Mm -hmm. And on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anything who, anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So there you go. Um, you know, the, the earth is inhabited by people who are in the right relationship with God and they are going to be experiencing creation the way that God designed it. And they're going to be uh, making the, you know, like, like if they want to go hang out with God, they will be able to in this place (laughs) because their books, their names in the book, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't know. And I I'm just,
2: assuming there will still be night elsewhere. I don't know. Because I'd be kind of sad if there wasn't, because, like, I like the stars and the moon.
0: And, I get that. Like, you know? But I really don't get any indication one way or the other, so I'm not going to... Because there's
2: no night in the city.
0: You know, I. That's it why seems I'm like wondering. the city's the source of the world's light, you know, so yeah. I... You know, I don't know what to think about that, but um, there is a um, there is a sense that that um, you know when this eternal existence after the millennial uh, period is over is going to be like what we already know, but there's also certain issues that are going to have to be dealt with. For example, if we're resurrected, uh, if, you know, in other words, we're in a, we're in a state of being that is not like what we exist in now. Remember Jesus after the resurrection seemed to be able to pass through walls. Mm -hmm. Time was not an issue for him. He, Mm -hmm. you know, so we're talking about a time when our fullest complexities in our fullest uh uh potential is realized you know yeah
2: i'm super excited about
0: it and and so we can at least know because it's already been witnessed in the bible that that we'll be like jesus uh when he was resurrected and that we will be changed you know i mean the apostle paul says it in uh uh i think it's in timothy or is it titus anyway he says you know we'll be changed you know um we'll be like him and and so in this eternal existence we're going to be like him so i don't know exactly what that means but i'm not too anxious about it um so this is the second to last book of the bible and chapter uh, of the Bible, <laughs> the second to last chapter of the Bible and the second to last chapter of the book of Revelation. And we are we are just about done. Mm-hmm. We we have a basically one more to look at together. And well, you know, I'm just not exactly sure at this point. You know, we've been through a lot here. This book of Revelation has presented us with an enormous amount of, of things to think about but i think i'll close my comments today by just reminding people of something that i had uh, heard some folks we we you know in my in my less virtual more real (laughs) bible studies where i'm actually sitting at table with people you know studying scripture together a conversation had arisen at one point and i remember saying to people you know there's so much to learn from the book of revelation that we miss because we're afraid of the things we don't think we'll be able to understand and because i've read through the book of revelation a number of times i have a much clearer picture of heaven and earth i have a much better understanding of satan and jesus and angels and and powers and principalities and all of it makes more sense to me because i read the book of revelation so you know my hope is that people are now more equipped to really live into their relationship with God because they really took seriously the book of Revelation and uh you know because it's got so much richness in there that tells us things we really want to know and need to know um you know so that's my my hope for folks who have studied this with us
2: well it's kind of like reading any other book which sounds really funny because it's the bible but what i mean is like If you're reading a really great novel, you're not going to open it up in the middle and start reading there, or you're not going to just not read the last chapter, and I think people do that with the Bible sometimes, where they're nervous about Revelation, they're nervous about Isaiah, they're nervous about some of these like weightier-seeming books of the Bible, but once you read it, you realize that it's informing every other part. And when you have a complete picture, your your reading of the Bible and your understanding of it becomes really different and better. Yeah. So it is like reading any other book, only more awesome, obviously. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And our series of podcasts on the book of Revelation, we've averaged about an hour per program. And, you know, I listen to a lot of audio books and, you know, I've listened to 30, 35 hour books before. (laughs) And the truth is, is that you'll spend several days listening to them, but you'll get the book. And if you listen to all these podcasts, you'll get the book. And what's really amazing is is that you'll never know that we were on a one-year journey through this book with you because we we had weeks off, you know, in between and everything. And so this is kind of momentous to realize that we're looking at next week or next time we record having gotten to the end of the book of Revelation and then moving on to something else. So so it's kind of cool and also a little bit, I don't know, I don't want to say sad, but You know, it means we have to, we have to think of something new to study together. And honestly, talking about this stuff is so exciting and fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to let it go and, and, and let it be is going to be interesting. So, well, do you have anything else you want to say? Nope. Okay. We're good. Well... So I want to just close as I always do by telling you that you know we'd love to meet you face to face come to Shiloh United Methodist Church if you are in southwest Indiana we will make you welcome we'd be glad to hear from you I know many Shiloh people listen to this and I thank you you honor us um you know the the main thing we want you to do is be connected with the church you know the, it's full of imperfect people who worship a perfect God, and that's the most important thing, is to be in a relationship with other Christians, because we edge each other along, we hurry each other towards the goal, you know, and we, we can't, you know, you can't go it alone, you can't just listen to this and say, well, you know, that's my church, I, I know you want to, but, but, you know, risk relationships, you know, you, you're, you, you might find this hard to believe, but your hosts are both kind of introverted, you know, but risk relationships, it's worth it, especially as you seek God. And, uh, you know, if you want to know more about Shiloh United Methodist Church and me and all the different things that we're into, just start by going to shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And visit the website there. And then, of course, you can also visit the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group, if you're not part of it, all you got to do is request to be a part of it, and I will personally invite you to join us. So until next time, God bless you, and goodbye. <music>